The information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, or for prevention, diagnosis, or treatment of any other illness. Always consult with a mental health or healthcare professional before engaging in any activities promoted in this podcast. Have you ever wanted to be a superhero? Join clinical psychologist Dr. Janina Scarlett and host Dustin McGinnis as they explore the psychology behind your favorite TV shows, movies, books, comics, video games, and more. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Superhero Therapy with Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm your host, Dustin McGinnis. I am a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fanboy. And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time geek. So today we have a very special guest, and in my humble opinion, a true champion of representation and diversity in pop culture, the blurred girl herself, Karima Horn. Thank you so much for being on our show today, Karima. Thank you for having me. How are you? Doing good, considering. Holding up okay? Okay, yes. <laughs> Holding up okay. Said, yeah. Anybody listening to this in the future, how are you in this pandemic that we are now experiencing? Surviving, exactly. which is very important. And thank you so much for being on our show. It's an honor to have you, Karima. Thank you for having me. No, honestly, this is a nice little break. I've actually been running around trying to get in contact. That's one thing when everybody's at home, they have more time. And I've been like, hey, remember that time that you said we were going to do a thing? Let's do it. Yeah. And this is yes. one of those lovely things that we were able to make happen finally. So, Yay. Yeah. So can you tell our audience a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Uh, like you said, my name is Karima, Karima Horn. Uh, a lot of people know me as The Blurred Girl. And that's because that's the name of my website and my podcast. I'm a geek journalist for all intents and purposes. I am a freelancer. I am a contributing editor to Sci-Fi Wire, and I tell everybody that my beat is basically the intersection of geekdom and diversity. I also do live speaking. I host a lot of, usually, <laughs> a lot of um, panels and live events, usually dealing about comics, superhero work, as well as like anime, because that's also my wheelhouse, and also just people of color and representation within the genre of science fiction and geekdom. And something else that I do behind the scenes, which is actually in light of our current situation, which is now going to be brought to the forefront, is I have a company called Thailand Media where I help artists and creatives represent themselves online. I teach marketing and, and basically all the things that I see as a journalist and in marketing that I do in my daily life, I help teach people how to do that for themselves. You also have another podcast, right, with uh, Angelique Rocher, yes. where you guys go once a month down into a basement the of a basement comic. The basement of a, yes. And it's so That's funny really cool. this is something we can't do right now. <laughs> oh. It's called The Radical Geeks. And yes, me and Angelique Rocher from Marvel, she also works with sci-fi. We are neighbors, actually. <laughs> and there's a comic book shop that we frequent, Anyone Comics. What's up, Demetrius? They're a great little neighborhood comic book shop, and he's got a big basement that he rents out for D&D tournaments and everything. And we started recording there last year a monthly live podcast, and we would interview artists and actors and writers. And it was just great because sometimes when you're doing a podcast for a major like network, I don't want to say that you can't say what you think, but you have to be a little bit more politically correct 
you can't speak as candidly. And many times artists and writers don't feel like they can speak as candidly. When you take it out of that mode and you go, hey, listen, we're talking to you here in a comic book shop, people really let their hair down. Helps when there's alcohol. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and, the, and so, yeah, it's a lot of fun. So hopefully at some point when we come out of this, we're also talking about somehow reviving it in a different way because for obvious reasons, we can't be live at the comic book shop. But yes, right. Radical Geeks is the other podcast. So I have a little bit of an addiction. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're very happy you're here. And although we're all well-rounded geeks here, we all have our favorite fandoms. Mine happens to be Star Wars. Dr. Scarlett, yours? So I have two. I'm a big Harry Potter fan and X-Men. X-Men helped me find my inner geek. That was my kind of doorway into the world of geek. <laughs> it's How about funny. You, Karima? I would have to say on the comic book side, I would say X-Men as well. But I am an anime fan. And it's so funny because I thought a lot of people knew this, but I think so many people know me for comics that they didn't know this until recently. I was talking about it on Twitter. But yeah, I've been a manga anime fan for a long time. And I like My Hero Academia, which is like mm-hmm. a huge show now, but I'm also old school. I'm a huge Ghost in the Shell fan. Not the movie, mm-hmm. not that live action movie, but the, <laughs> but the original anime and the original manga. But fandom is interesting because I'm quick to say that I'm a fan of something, mm-hmm. but I think you learn very early as a blurred, as a black nerd, that to be a black nerd means that you can be a fan of something, but the fandom does not always love you back. Somebody was just talking to me about BTS, K-pop. And they were like how much they were a huge K-pop fan, but a lot of the fandom were like, you're black, why are you here? One of the reasons why I I put blurred in my name was because when someone calls themselves a blurred, it's sort of like recognizing the fact that I... I'm a fan of many things, genre, science fiction, horror, comic book, you know, anime, mm-hmm. whatever. And if somebody recognizes you back, there's really accepting of not just your fandom, but of you also. And so it was sort of when I first was using the term back in 2016, and I'm not the first person to use it, but I'm saying when I first started using it, it was sort of like, oh, I see you, you too. Okay, great. <laughs> because it was normal to be at comic book conventions and to be not the only one, but one of the few people and people being surprised like, oh, I didn't know black women read comics. I'm like, seriously, seriously. And I still get asked that question. Like I did a post on Twitter that went viral like a month ago about black female comic book artists. And I was like, I am very tired of being asked this question. Here's a list. And people were like, I didn't know they existed. And I'm like, this doesn't make any sense because they're all on Instagram. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it's sort of one of those... I think we get myopic when it comes to our fandom. One of the reasons why I started The Blur Girl, and it was really funny, was not to yell about the lack of diversity necessarily in comic books, but it was to point out the Black, Latino, POC characters that existed already that people didn't know about. A lot of people Mm -hmm. didn't know about Milestone. A lot of people didn't know about not just Sam Wilson, but there was, Sam Wilson isn't the first Black Captain America. There's been like four, but a lot of people didn't know that. So I started my little Tumblr back in the day, just saying, hey, look, this is some cool stuff I found. And hey, did you know that this artist, like Brian Stelfreeze is a Black man? Like a lot of people didn't know this stuff. And that's all my blog was at first. And then it sort of took off from there because my niche became sort of a source of information. And then I was terrified because I was like, I didn't know. I, I just looked this up, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's available to everybody. Exactly. We actually, 
we we just actually had Sarah Kuhn on our show, and she did uh, Shadow of the Batgirl, which was a Cassandra Kane graphic novel. Yeah, uh, and it was so beautiful and refreshing to see this and to hear her reasoning behind everything. You know, she wanted to show her grandma and have these things that she never had as representations, and it was man, it was it's just beautiful. So. How about superheroes? Who is your favorite character and which one would you like to see featured in their own film? I'm going to keep saying Storm so she gets her own movie because I, I don't <laughs> understand why this hasn't happened yet. And people keep saying, oh, you know, but she's been in all the X-Men movies. I'm, no, mm-hmm. she needs her own standalone <laughs> movie. The character of Storm in the last movie, which was Dark Phoenix, she was standing in the rain with an umbrella. You don't understand Storm. That nope. was unnecessary. <laughs> she stormed redundant Mm-mm. redundant and unnecessary I, I didn't see that movie so i can't speak to it but that scene That's sounds okay. ridiculous storm <laughs> is my favorite hero of all time storm is the reason why i became a geek i'm a chernobyl survivor and mm. so my immune system is severely compromised and one of the ways that my health is affected is that whenever the weather changes i get very sick And so my whole life, I felt sick and broken Mm -hmm. and like, I can't do anything. And then I remember seeing the first X-Men movie in 2000 and not knowing how I was going to feel about it. I was kind of forced to see it because I was working in the movie theater and our boss is like, everyone's going to the midnight screening. I was like, I guess we're going to the midnight screening. And so we went and sitting there just watching the X-Men had tears running down my face the whole Mm. time because I was like they're different like me and then I see Storm Halle Berry my Mm. first Storm still will always be my favorite because she was my first and just seeing her ability to control the weather because I always felt controlled by the weather by the weather yeah yeah and then I was like wait a minute she can control the weather and for some reason that moment allowed me to rethink my whole origin story. It made me realize that I wasn't a victim. I was a survivor. And so I started reading her backstory. I found out Aurora's origin story and her history of trauma and claustrophobia. Mm-hmm. Claustrophobia, and, yeah. And her struggle with anxiety and that kind of like, and then finally her, like literally coming out of the box that I don't remember if it was Dr. Doom or somebody else was trying to confide her in. And she was like, a box is not going to hold me back anymore. I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, girl. You know, because she's, just so amazing that she was able to face her own anxiety, her own panic attacks, her own storm of emotions to protect her friends. So Storm is and always will be my favorite superhero. And I want to see her as someone that's more than T'Challa's wife. I want to see her as the warrior, the queen that she is and her entire story. Like there needs to be a Storm movie. So thank you. I think a very interesting story for her would be the run where she lost her powers. And then she had to get them back. So we could see her getting, maybe not the first movie, maybe that's the second movie, but like getting her powers back. Because that was so powerful with how she had to fight without them. And then the realization that her own man basically took them and... Spoiler alert, if you haven't read the comic. <laughs> I um, have not read the comic. Sorry. So I was like, I was actually really curious right there. I was like, what is this? <laughs> Yeah, there's a run with her and Cage that's very interesting. So I'll give it to you later. I don't want you to spoil it. Storm really deserves her own movie. And yes, there are rumors. There's no proof yet. There are rumors that she might make an appearance in Black Panther 2. But I personally think I would like to see her have her own movie. Like, I don't want it to be a post-mortem movie like Natasha. <laughs> Like, yeah. give her her flowers while she's alive. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. Thank you. <laughs> Thank oh you. Oh, my goodness. It's no secret that representation and diversity are very important in pop culture. 
our world exists within a beauty of different cultures, backgrounds, ethnicities, and et cetera. So why shouldn't mainstream entertainment reflect this as well? And honestly, I think it's basic sense. This question is for both of you. With regard to inclusion and representation, why do you think it has been so difficult to get where we are today in pop culture? Okay, I'll start with comic books and then work my way out a little bit because it's like tangential. But in terms of comic books, and this is something I've talked about a lot, the comic book direct-to-market type of model. If we're talking about the big two, and I'm going to start there, but the big two have always had, now what we call, we're all used to terms like tentpole movies, but they've always had their tentpole characters. So if you're talking about DC, that's Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, occasionally Green Lantern. With Marvel, it's been a even though people would say Iron Man now, Iron Man, when his first movie came out, one of the reasons why they took a chance is because he wasn't a major character. Mm-hmm. But I definitely would say like something like Captain America. And what happens is they always find different ways of selling those characters. That's why you have so many different versions of them. And mm-hmm. every now and then they kill them and then they bring them back. Mm-hmm. And then they bring back their evil versions or they make them dead or they make them zombie versions, you know, but there's always versions of those archetypes because that's what they know sells. They know for the Wonder Woman fans or for the Batman fans or the Superman fans, that they go into the comic book shop and they see Superman, they're gonna buy it. What happened in the comic book world is they realized through the MCU and through basically, basically social media that more than just 56 year old white dudes were buying comic mm-hmm. books. It wasn't new that they weren't the only ones, but the market never reflected them. The same way Toys R Us always had a girl's aisle and a boy's aisle, and nobody really paid attention to it till Avengers came out and Avengers was huge, and the Avengers toys came out at Toys R Us, and you couldn't get Natasha on the motorcycle because that's a girl's toy. She's in the dress-up aisle. But this is the way things have been marketed. So it wasn't so much that I think In reality, people saw other people of other races and ethnicity all the time, but the system was not built acknowledging them. So here you have this backlash of fans and people who you want to buy your product telling you, no, your product sucks. And this is why. And they had to pivot and they didn't know how. And now you have comic book shops and toy sellers that are saying, why should we change? Because of the fans, the customer isn't always right. We're in a different market. And you have companies and shareholders saying, no, you better change. So now I need a black Iron Man. I need a black Batman. I need a Latina Captain America. And they're checking off boxes because they're like, these are the demographics that we're trying to go for. So we can say, we have one. It didn't mean they had good stories all the time, but sometimes they did. I'm not going to say they were all bad. But what social media has done to the market in general is made the customer very powerful. Right. And that in the 70s, 80s, 90s was never the case. You're going to get what we give you and we're going to give it to you every two months. Now we're dropping, well, even before the pandemic, in terms of the digital world, the comics come out every 15 minutes. It's like 10, 12 comics a day from probably Marvel alone. It was one of those things where I think Malcolm Gladwell calls it a tipping point. Just nobody noticed until the first one happened. And then it was like, wait a minute. And I happened to be sort of at the cusp of that. Like basically my site was coming up right when a lot of that happens. And it it was really interesting seeing so many people going, why do we have to have a black Iron Man? Why do we have to have an Asian this, Asian that? And you saw a lot of people like, this is not my comics. This is just pandering. But it was because you had an old group of fans that were clashing with 
new fans. And these are new fans that were not comic book collectors. These are people that were going to the movies, were going to see the Avengers for the first time, either by themselves or with their kids and going, okay, now I want to buy all the things. And going to the stores and realizing, well, where are all the things? Mm -hmm. I even laugh when because there's still this concept of people of color will not make you money. There's no money there in products for them. Even though Black Panther blew everybody out of the water, and I think that was also a change. It was a turning point. Right. But in 2018, when that happened, I tell people this all the time, Black Panther came out at the beginning of 2018, and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse came out at the end of the same year. Yeah. And nobody ever believes me because they feel like they're two years apart. But they really came out in the same year. And that year changed a lot when it came to pop culture representation. Because of that same year, we had Black Lightning. We had all of these CW characters. We had more movies coming out with not even just people of color. Now we have, we're showing disabilities. We're having blind mm -hmm. characters. Because what started to happen is, why can't I be represented? Right. And so what happened is you had fans. And this is why I was saying fandom is not always friendly. Because you had old fans who were like, I don't understand what all this new crap is. Just give me my old stories back. And you had new fans like, oh my God, look, this is something that looks like me. This is great. But wait, where are the people writing it? Why is this story character fleshed out? So it was sort of three phases. Like one, somebody shining a light on the fact that in my entertainment, things don't look like they look outside my window. Mm -hmm. And other people that don't live in diverse communities, like, yeah, they do. I don't understand why we have to do all this now. And that was clashing on social media, but that social media and those arguments and those fights and those discussions was free advertising because the number one way to get a lot of followers on social media is to fight. Mm. So there was a lot of stirring the pot of a lot of characters and just images just dropped and things that like came out so that discussions would be had because even people who said that they didn't want to see Black Panther, they couldn't stand Venom or whatever, went to see it multiple times paid for it so they come back and tell you how terrible it was. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of my little history of diversity, I think, in the comic book and pop culture world. I love everything you're saying. And I think from a psychological standpoint, when we're seeing characters that look like us represented in mass media, like on the silver screen or in television shows and comic books and video games, that's sending a very powerful message, right? And that message is that who you are is important. You have a voice. You are important. And I think that for the longest time, when majority of the characters were cisgender, heterosexual, Caucasian males, that send the message worldwide that the rest of us didn't really matter. You know, I can only speak to like the gender and LGBT issues since that's where my experience comes in. Mm -hmm. But, you know, from like the gender perspective, when I was growing up in Ukraine, where I was born and raised, majority of the books were written with a male protagonist, right? Some kind of a prince, a hero who has to save the princess, whose only role is to be pretty and to be rescued. She only has those two obligations. And then she will be given to him as a prize. And I remember being really frustrated and wanting to be, you know, one of the musketeers, like wanting to be one of the knights, you know, and be alongside with D'Artagnan and Arthos, Porthos and Aramis. And I remember I once told one of my neighbors that I was like, well, I want to go on adventures and I want to be one of the musketeers. And one of my neighbors laughed and she was like, girls don't become musketeers. And I was like, well, then I don't want to be a girl. And so <laughs> my poor grandpa heard which this. Is, which is perfect logical reasoning yeah. for like a seven-year-old, by the way. Yeah, because yeah, I was like, wait a minute, I want to have adventures, right? And so my grandpa heard this and he was a World War II hero. He was a mm. Holocaust survivor survivor. 
And he brought me and he said, you know, I have a book for you. I have a book you'll really like. I was like, what's the book I want to read it? He's like, you know, it's written in secret ink. So right now only I can read it, but I'll read it to you. <laughs> and I was like, okay, cool. Let's do it. So he takes out a blank piece of paper. I'm like, grandpa, there's nothing on it. He's like, no, no, no. It's written in secret ink. And eventually I'll teach you how to read it. But right now you're not ready, but I'm going to read it. And so he starts, you know, taking his finger across the page as he's reading it. And it's a story about a girl who has the same name as me. And it's about <laughs> that little girl whose older brother and male cousins are kidnapped by this evil cannibal who's a guy. And so it's a male villain who kidnapped three guys. And it's up to the little girl to go and rescue her brother and her male cousins and defeat this like male villain. And he started reading it to me pretty regularly, like a variation on that story. He must have read me like 30 different stories on that Aww, variation. Your grandpa's and, so cool. So cool. <laughs> and my point is, I really needed that. Like it didn't exist. It wasn't available. So he made it. And that's exactly, you know, what it made me think of when you were saying how much power we consumers have now where these stories don't exist or if they don't exist yet, we make them, right? We petition for them. We demand them on social media. We well, vote with also, our dollars. And there's also fan fiction. And there's fan fiction. People, there's a reason why AO3 was like winning mm -hmm. Eisner's and winning and awards. Hugo's. Like it is, yes. And Hugo's. It's like one of the number one sites fan for fic. fiction mm -hmm. because- that's where fans were just going, like, you're not writing my stories. I'm just going to go over here and write them myself. Right. And I can, I tell you, I have read some amazing stories yes. on AO3. And I'm like, why isn't this person published? I don't understand. But at the time, there was nothing but AO3. You yep. know, and this isn't that long ago. We're just talking about four years ago, like yep. four or five years ago. So again, with that concept of a tipping point, yep. now we see from... Black Panther on, everybody's like, oh my God, we've made it. It's like, I'm in there, hang on, <laughs> sort of. But look what's also been happening in our world. Like since then we've had a black president and then yep. we haven't and all of the backlash of that and then yeah. where we are now. And a lot of what we see, the language and the, and the stuff that we see on social media, but now you see people that are willing to speak up for themselves, that are willing to say, I don't have to listen to that. And a whole generation that is not just going to sit there and let someone speak in a way that is racist or misogynist or, or homophobic or something like that, where not even a full generation, just a half generation back, like their older brothers and sisters might not feel comfortable having those, you know, arguments, discussions and things like that. So I think seeing yourself in some way, shape or form, listen, I know at Black Panther, the first time they entered Wakanda, I cried. And then the second time I cried was at, this was before I saw the movie. I, I got a chance to see like some early screeners of Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse. And I saw that first scene very early and I was in tears. And someone was like, why? I said, because this little boy, this little black Boricua boy runs down my street every day going to yep. school. I've seen him. And, and he's I've from Brooklyn. Never, and I've never in my life seen that child represented in a cartoon or on TV or anything like that. And I was like, I remember thinking, had I seen Shuri as a child, as a 13 year old? Oh my God, I would be working for NASA right now. Like <laughs> nothing you could have told me. So images are powerful. And I think heroes like that are powerful, especially when you're in a time like now, like a pandemic where your imagination is kind of all you got, especially mm -hmm. if you're a kid. These things are really, really important. And I think that's the other thing that people forgot 
when they got into like, why do we need all these diverse characters or whatever? I was like, because it's not about you. It's about the kids. I know you think it's about you, but Mm -hmm. this is still a business. Disney on down. It's not for you. Someone was asking that about Mandalorian. They're like, why is this going so slow? Why does this feel like, you know, an old Star Wars film? It's like, because it's for kids. (laughs) And I think that's the real interesting thing. What the MCU did was bring adults back into the theater, bringing all the people who were fans of the stuff and secretly fans of the stuff at home were wearing their costumes and everything, taking them from the convention to the theater. And that hadn't been done. And so now you have these adults, like I remember when I went to see Teen Titans and these kids were excited and talking and this dude behind me had a fit. He's like, I've been waiting to see this movie since I was 10. You're going to shut up. But I was like, wow, but they're five. Calm down. (laughs) (laughs) This is such an interesting conversation. Karima, you had mentioned rebranding of characters in uh, Black Iron Man. Mm -hmm. You wrote an article a few years back titled Riri, Rhodey, and Reskinning How Marvel is Misunderstanding Diversity. It was very interesting and it was a very enlightening article at the time. Could you please give our listeners a brief rundown of this article and discuss how the industry has changed since then? Yeah, that article got me in a little bit of trouble. It's really funny. I'm actually in a Marvel comic this year, and I was like, y'all don't understand how phenomenal this is. Yeah, I didn't think awesome. they were going to talk to me again. But, <laughs> <laughs> but basically, back in 2016, the comment I was talking about was Riri had just been announced. And Riri, for those who don't know, is she doesn't replace Tony Stark as Iron Man, but she's a sort of has Iron Man technology that she created herself. And the comic book run, which has been written by Eve Ewing, which has been fantastic, This was before she was on it. Riri was appearing in Iron Man comics as an introduction. Mm -hmm. And I was lamenting because this was right at sort of the start of the new version of Civil War. This retelling of Civil War, which is this fight between Tony Stark and Captain America eventually. But what it really is, the superheroes basically having to register themselves and tell everybody who they are and where they, you know, and mm-hmm. where they are so the government can keep track of them so that they can no longer destroy things around them. That's the premise of the story. But at the beginning of Civil War II, in the comics, Rhodey dies. In the beginning of Civil War, the original Civil War, another character named Giant Man, also a black man, dies. And so that was the catalyst because I was like, why? Why are we doing this? Why is the black man still the first one to die? <laughs> you know, at this time. And then you come behind it and say, but look, we have a new black version of Iron Man. It's like, wait. And then the other thing I was lamenting was the fact that they were recognizing the power of diversity in comics and getting people of color to buy those comics, but they were not hiring any more people of color behind the scenes. So those are the three points of the article. And what I try to do when I do in-depth articles like that is I try not to bring up a problem without a solution. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the article, I said, and by the way, if you were looking for black female writers of comics, here's Here's a list. list. And that kind of went viral because for some reason, people didn't think women read or wrote comics. Mm -hmm. To this day, that still surprises me because I'm like, we do everything. Why? (laughs) So that's basically in a nutshell what the article was about. It kind of went viral. And then what happened was, I'm sure this was not because of my article, because comics are always laid out about a year in advance. But the timing was kind of interesting. 
my article kind of came out in July of 2016. In August, it was announced that Roxane Gay and Yona Harvey were going to be working on a version of Black Panther that had already been started by ta Coates, but it was another version of the story in the same universe called World of Wakanda. The entire, actually, team was Black as well. Letha Martinez was also one of the artists, and they were announcing her as the first Black female writer for Marvel. And then a month later, I did an article. They loved me that year. <laughs> because I found out that through Marvel Unlimited, which is their online service, Nyla Magruder had actually already that year, but just a few weeks before that announcement, released a webcomic called Infinite Comic. And it, it starred Rocky, sorry, Rocket Raccoon. I'm so tired. Rocket Raccoon, <laughs> as well as Tippy, one of the squirrels. And technically that made Nyla the first black woman to write for Marvel. And everybody was like giving that accolades and stuff. And I've said, no, I'm announcing this because it's important, but they don't get cookies mm -hmm. <laughs> because this company has been around almost a hundred years. They don't get cookies for waiting till 2016 to do this. Right. And that is one area that DC had them beat. DC did have a black female writer years before. And then the discussions and stuff were happening. Well, do only black women or black people have the right to write about black characters? No, of course not. I don't think that's the case at all. But at the same time, you have stories. Basically, my issue was there's not enough of us in there at all. And not just black women, just people of color at all. And then on top of that, to have stories that are very specific to the black experience being written by people who are not African-American, I felt that was irresponsible. And that's what I was talking about in the article. It Got a lot of backlash, but it actually got more praise <laughs> than I thought it did. Actually, I had a yeah. lot more praise than I thought I would get for it was that. Very interesting. It brought up so many good points, especially the reskinning part where it's like, here's this new character and her name's Iron Man. Right. Why and because at that time they didn't her? give her, exactly. Yeah. And at that time they had, or like Thor. Her. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Or Lady Thor. Or now the thing I'll give Thor is that Jane did already exist in the universe. Mm -hmm. And I will give. Characters like Jon Stewart, who was in Green Lantern, he had his own origin story years ago. I had the same issue with Iceman. We're straight, and all of a sudden they were gay. It's fine if you're going to get somebody queer to write the story. Mm -hmm. But just to do it, to say, we have one of those to just check another box, that's paint-by-numbers diversity. It did mean something to have Roxane Gay writing World of Wakanda. It did mean something to have Tana Hasi Coates write Black Panther. But you know what? It also means something to have Dennis Cowan back drawing the question. The issue that I was bringing up, and I don't think it's been solved yet, because there's still a lot of people that will put Black women on the cover of the comics, but not have any Black women writing for them. And here's the thing. You can have Black women writing for other comics in your library. I don't have an issue with that. But the reason why I'm sensitive to it is because those people will contact me for reviews. Please review this comic. Look, we have a black female character. Look, we have an Asian character. Look, we have mm -hmm. a queer character. And that is another default, by the way. Once you start speaking up about diversity, you sort of get to be the poster child for diversity. You, I have people calling me like, do you know a Samoan transgender cosplayer? It's like, wait, why do you need that? Like, why, why can't you just get a cosplayer, yeah. you know? And then the question always comes up, like, why can't we just look to make sure that they're a good writer? Why do they have to be a black writer? And the way I answer this is, you don't know what you're missing when it's never been shown to you before. It's kind of like buying mm -hmm. a new pair of headphones. 
Like you don't know how bad your old headphones are until you get a new pair and you go, what was I listening to all of this time? Yeah. <laughs> there's, sound, there's sounds here I've never heard before. Right. <laughs> you don't know because you've never seen it before. So when people say like, well, the industry was fine without this. We didn't need it. I didn't, you know, why are these stories necessary? I usually give that analogy. I also have heard people say, well, there aren't any black people that really buy comics in my shop anyway, or there aren't any people of color that really subscribe to my podcast or my whatever it is anyway. Why is it important that I reach out to them? And it's funny, I just heard this recently. It's sort of like the mayor of a town saying, we have no record of any coronavirus in our city. And it's like, great, how many people have you tested? Well, we haven't tested anybody because we don't have any tests. <laughs> then how do you know? Exactly. Man, <laughs> so that's a that, great metaphor. <laughs> so it's sort of like, I'm not asking anybody actually either for a handout. If you want really high quality artists, and that's the other thing that bothers me. Whenever I make a list of writers or artists or whoever I'm talking about, I consider their work really good. But you'd be surprised how many people say to me, are they good though? And I'm like, could you go look? Yeah. You know? And I think that's also comes with indie comics. This isn't just Mm -hmm. a diversity thing. A lot of people of color have gotten a lot of great work done in indie. And I think there's the stigma still with indie comics that the quality is not as good as the big two. Although I think Image and Valiant have changed that stigma a little bit. Yeah, completely. Dr. Scarlett, on a psychological level, why is diversity and representation so important with regard to media consumption and establishing these connection with characters? Very much as Karima pointed out too, just that it's important for us to feel like we're a part of the society, right? For everyone to feel like they're represented and that they're represented accurately. I think a lot of times we look to media for information and media is of course not a reliable source of information, but a lot of times people will misunderstand what's going on. So for example, comic books or TV shows or movies that misrepresent mental illness might unfortunately, maybe inadvertently suggest that having mental illness makes people violent, but we know that's not true. And unfortunately, what it breeds is misinformation. If we're seeing a movie where a person of a particular race is a villain and of a different race is a hero, it creates certain assumptions. And so I think that if we're not careful, we're sending just kind of misconceived messages to viewers that can actually be very dangerous. Uh, yeah, it's right coded. With- it's, it's like coded messaging. Cause this is, think about Scarlet Witch. Every single person I know that knows Scarlet Witch's origin story is like, yeah, she's always been crazy. No, she's not necessarily crazy. And also she's not a witch and she's not a gypsy. That's a, that's a derogatory term. She's Romani. Yep. And she has a power that was misunderstood. And why is it that Phoenix is not crazy, but Mm -hmm. Scarlet Witch is? Right. And then the other thing that I also find interesting along those same lines is disability. Mm -hmm. Every amputee in comic books is weaponized. You don't just get to live. It's like, no, we have one better for you. You are now a weapon. We have a new arm for you, and it's a gun. We don't have time for that in this podcast, but that I would love... (laughs) for a whole psychological analysis as to yeah. why we keep weaponizing yeah. prosthetics in comic books. I think one of the few, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but one of the few, I guess, good representations of a person with a disability that is not then villainized in some kind of way or weaponized in some kind of way is Charles Xavier, you know, yeah. who is the world's biggest empath. 
And his biggest superpower really is his ability for empathy. And I want to see more characters like that. I want to see characters who, who are diverse in every kind of way, you know, who are diverse in the way that they look and in, in their gender and sexual orientation and identity. I want to see characters that are diverse in their ability and disability. I want to see characters that are diverse in their mental health and also accuracy of that information. And I think the most important thing for a lot of creators is consulting. I mean, ideally, we would have, as you said, representatives from like specific groups as a part of the writing process. When that's not possible, if let's say somebody is writing about a particular psychological disorder, I think the same amount of research needs to go into that, you know, in terms of consultation, as it would when you're writing a science fiction story and you might be consulting with a scientist. I completely agree. Actually, this is an excellent representation of that. Watchmen, Damon Lindelof. He had the concept of Tulsa and the Tulsa massacre in his brain before he took over Watchmen, but he knew enough to know, okay, I can't write this story. I don't know all the parts of the story and I need to step back. And people were like, oh, you led a great story. And he said, he led from the middle. It's a, mm -hmm. a powerful way of, uh, of leadership. He led from the middle. He didn't lead from the front. He gathered around him the people that had the historical knowledge, who did the research, anthropologists and psychologists and actual yep. writers yep. who knew. That's why Watchmen, and I, we mentioned fan fiction, HBO's Watchmen was the most amazing representation of fan fiction, basically taking an origin story, putting another story within the universe, but in a different location with different characters. And it was executed so beautifully because the story was allowed to live, first of all, on its own. And he had enough people there to make it authentic. You didn't have to know everything about what happened in Tulsa. You didn't even have to know everything about black people to really, really like the story because it was well executed, but it was coded with enough information by people of color and by black people specifically so that there was another layer there as well. And that's the difference between paint by numbers diversity and actually getting a nuanced perspective. And it's funny because it's almost a visceral response. I can tell, I actually just saw a movie like that that's out this week on Shudder called Blood Quantum. And it's a zombie story about Native Americans. Well, actually, they're, they're indigenous people in Canada. They're not Native American. Where only the white people are turning into zombies. Oh, wow. Wow. That's an interesting concept. I love it. <laughs> Very interesting concept. So the indigenous people can still get hurt. You can still bleed out if somebody bites you. Right, but right. they won't turn. So it's sort of like the colonizers turned into the monsters. And wow. it's just really, exactly. See, it's a really fascinating. And then when you put the other layer of the actual meaning of the words blood quantum, like in this country, blood quantum is actually a real term used to determine whether or not you are actually Native American. So if you can prove that you are 50%, your bloodline is 50% Native American, then you're considered Native American. Anything less than that, 49 and less, you're not. And so that means you are not given certain reparations, you're not given certain food and things that are required to be given to indigenous people in this country. So it's a whole, it's very layered and I've done research, but I'm not indigenous. I can't wait to sit down and talk to a friend of mine who is to go, what did I miss? Yeah. <laughs> because it was written and also directed and starring, you know, an all indigenous cast. It was really well executed a bloody, bloody zombie movie. But it was done really well. But it was just one of those things where this is what we need. But the fabulous thing about that movie, and I think where we are going 
in this pandemic universe is that the playing field has been even. Everybody's on Zoom. Yes. Everybody's on YouTube. Yep. So if you have a story, you can write it, you can shoot it, you can do it, and a lot of people will see it. You have a captive audience right now. Right. What more than a unifying event like a pandemic? To I, I wish all it brought, we're all in it together. <laughs> uh, I have a couple more questions, but I think I, I don't know what we are doing on time here. I mean, it's been a pleasure to have you on our show. Can you please tell our audience where they can listen to your podcast and find you on social media? Sure. I'm basically the blurred girl everywhere. T-H-E-B-L-E-R-D-G-U-R-L. I live on Twitter, but I have found TikTok. So I fell down that rabbit hole a couple <laughs> weeks ago. <laughs> um, but you can find access to everything. My videos, my blog, my podcast, all at theblurredgirl.com. And I also have started a new video series called Stream This. And it's all about the geeky stuff that I'm streaming online. And if there's a lot of stuff out there, but if you're curious about what to watch, I have a whole list. So I'm, I'm doing that as well. So thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Oh, thank you so welcome. much for coming on our show. Honestly, it's such an honor. We'd love to have you back. Thank you so much for everything you're writing and everything you're doing. Thank yes. you so much. Thanks again. We're going to go ahead and end this episode of Superhero Therapy. Again, my name is Dustin McGinnis. You can find me on Twitter at The Bank Geek. And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. You can find me on Twitter at Shadow Quill or Dr. Janina Scarlett Official on Instagram. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Stay safe out there and remember that you are a superhero.